read. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than the other, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honour of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honour of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honour of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that we might be uh, he might be both Lord, uh, Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and I'm persuaded in the way, uh, in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what is good, uh, what you regard as good, be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean. But if it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats, it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brothers to stumble. The faith that you have keeps between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Please keep your Bibles open. The kids are going to go off to their groups with Natalie. Well, good evening, everyone. My name is Rob, and uh, I actually live right next door, so uh, you know where I am um, if you need to find me. Um, I've been coming to this church for a couple of years now. Um, and 
lots of these people here are friends of mine. Um, so we, we know each other well and we get to know each other at the end of the service. Um, let me pray for us before we look at the passage tonight. Father God, it is true that you are gracious towards us. You are loving, you are merciful and kind. You do not treat us as we deserve. And you bring us into your family. It's not just any family, it is your family. And as, as that, you want us to bear your likeness. You want us to be just like you. <coughs> May tonight be an opportunity to see how we can bear your likeness, how we can uh, show who our Father is, and uh, live like him. Amen. Amen. Please keep uh, that page open. We'll get back to it in just a moment. Well, Sally was very excited about the annual, annual church meal. When it came to the committee, however, there were some concerns, namely the subject of beef burgers and beer and soft drinks. The church she was in was in Harrow. A good number of new converts in the last year were previously Hindu. But Sally felt she argued her point really well, using lots of quotes from the Bible. She had convinced them, or so she thought. Anyway, she was the group organiser, and it would take far too long to change the online order. So, click. The day of the church meal, the turnout wasn't as good as they had hoped. But at least Vishnu was dutifully tucking into his beef burger. Carol, from a strict Methodist family, spent the evening giving darting looks at whoever went near the drinks table. Jim sat by himself, secretly battling with alcohol addiction. Can I ask you a question? Who did the right thing? Who did the right thing? Was it strong Sally who stuck by her convictions as a Christian? Was it Carol who sat there judging other Christians? Or was it Vishnu who, who went along with the crowd against his gut feeling that it wasn't right? Well, certainly no one had thought what was best for Jim, had they? Well, the answer from Romans 14, who did the right thing, is that none of them did. None of them did the right thing. And we're going to see that tonight. There are two sides in verse 2, if you look down at that. It says that there was one person believed he may eat anything, while the weak person ate only vegetables. And as Hannah said, helpfully, the, the Jewish Christians in Rome, they had some sensitivities, and it was from their upbringing, and it was namely to, about meat and special festivals. The Gentile believers didn't have any of that. They'd always lived that way. Neither of these groups are pushing that this is the way to be saved. We know this because Paul would be on the offensive in other places. He would say, you're in the wrong. You need to back down. No, he doesn't have that tone. Both of these group sides are genuine believers. They, they just differ over matters of conscience. 
but it concerns meals. So it could derail all of their times of fellowship together. Do you get the picture? How can they, how can they spend time together if, it, if it's about food? Disagreements. Well, despite their strong opinions, there's two ways these groups are not all that different. And the first way is in verse 3. Let me read that. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. Can you see what they're doing? They're both being proud in the way they view the other. They're both being proud in the way they view the other. As Christians, Sally's stubbornness, it showed a deep lack of love and a scorn for other people, didn't it? My way. Carol's thoughts, they, they, though they were concealed, they clearly called for the judgment of other Christians. And most shocking is that they are believing this way about other Christians. That's shocking. For weeks at Beckendry Church, we've been going through the letter of Romans. And we've enjoyed like a wonderful presentation of the gospel about Jesus. What God has done to bring sinners into relationship with him. But we really don't want to be lazy and let it wash over us. We need this gospel to go to work in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives. So with these worked examples that Paul's giving us at the end of this letter, we're meant to apply what we've learned. So it's pretty hands-on. I hope you're ready for that. Let me ask you a question. For, for, the, for the Christians in this letter and for the Christians in that illustration at the start, what could, have that, what could their attitudes have been like? Based on everything we've heard in Romans, what could their attitudes have been like? I'll give you an extra help. In the first song this, this evening, there was loads of, loads of things we sang about, about what God has, says about Christians. What are some of those things that God says about Christians? Yeah? He has amazing love towards them. Let me, let me read some out. How does God now feel about all believers? Uh, he loves them. And he calls them his children. Nothing can separate them from his love. There is now no condemnation they must face. Well, that's what their attitude could have been like. It wasn't like that. And, and that's why they need this encouragement. The first thing we're going to see, and we're going to learn from this, is accept, don't argue. Accept, don't argue. We see that in verse 1, don't we? As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. But not to quarrel, argue over opinions. And in verse, the second half of verse 3, the reason for that is that God welcomes them. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. So that means the Christian, in ch- the person in church, who we don't quite see eye to eye with, God has welcomed them into his family. So you welcome them. But don't make it an invite for a good argument. 
God's welcome isn't a one-off gesture. It's not goodwill. It's not that he merely learns to put up with them. No, he calls us his friends. And he will never turn us away. That's the kind of welcome we're talking about. Wholehearted. Embrace them, bring them in. They're your brother, they're your sister. Just as God has brought us in, so you must bring them in too. Well, Paul has had to tackle pride in the Gentiles in this letter. And again, we see that they need a bit of humbling and putting in their place. So if you look at verse 4, Paul's going to give them something to think about. And he says... Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? And, and when, we, when we chew over the actions of another and we think, are they doing the right thing? How are they in the wrong? What we're actually really saying is, they, they owe me an explanation. You see? They owe me an explanation. Why, why are they doing that? Well, they, they should tell me why they're doing that. And actually, this verse says that, um, that, the, the, that they have a master, and that master is not, is not us. Jesus is their master. You see that? Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? They will answer to Jesus. He's their master. We see that again. Um... How do you see that? Uh, So after that bit it says, it is before his own master that that person stands or falls and he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. So, accept. Don't argue because God welcomes them. And he welcomes them and Jesus is their master. Next one. And then we see the important thing. In verse 5, the important thing is that they're, they're convinced about what they're doing. I told you there were two things that both, think, both sides share, that they have in common. The first one was they have pride towards the other. The second thing both sides share is a genuine honour for Jesus. We see that in verse 5, uh, verse 6 to 8, and I'll read that now. The one who observes the day, observes it in honour of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honour of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, gives honour, uh, abstains in honour of the Lord and gives thanks to God. They're doing what they do because they're wanting to live for Jesus. And they are doing or not doing it out of honour for him. Can you see that? The one who's eating, does it in honour of the Lord. The one who doesn't eat that thing, does it in honour of the Lord. They genuinely believe that's the way Jesus would have them to live. Well, obviously, they can't both be right. Obviously. But as well as correcting their error, Paul says something extraordinary. It's there in verse 14. Paul says this, I know... And I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. 
which is, you know, that's a bit unusual, isn't it? Paul is saying, I know it's un- there's nothing unclean, but it's unclean if they think it's unclean. This is about what, what they're thinking about that thing. Is it right? Is it wrong? How can Paul say that? Well, the answer is there in verse 23. Whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So, if someone's forced into the behaviour of another person, they're forced into their behaviour, and it's going against their conscience, that they don't really think it's right, the right thing to do. To not be convinced and do it anyway is to practice disobedience. You see that? If, they, if they're thinking this is the wrong thing to do and they do it, they're being disobedient, aren't they? So, I'm, I'm a bit behind on these. Uh, oh, no, no, I'm not actually. Sorry. Let's go back. Be fairly convinced is that third, third point on there. Be fairly convinced. Is what you're doing or not doing genuinely out of honour for Jesus? Is it because you're wanting to live for him? Or is there another reason? And I think both of these guys could have said, actually, honestly, yes, I am doing this because I want to live for Jesus. Um, Let me read verses 10 to 12. The question again, why? Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. And it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. We'll all give an account to God. But it won't be an account of what they did. It will be an account of what I did. Now the great thing is that we know that Jesus has done what we need and that God will accept us and he will accept them too. So what should we do? What would their attitude have been like? How could it have been different? What we start to see is that our attitude towards other believers, other Christians, is actually a great opportunity to believe the gospel. What we've, all we've been hearing about, this is an opportunity to believe the gospel. And it's an opportunity to believe the gospel about them or him or her. Do I believe the gospel? The last few chapters in, the, in Romans have introduced us to what Christian love looks like. And it doesn't stop, does it, at minding our own business. Keep, you know, they do their thing, I do my thing. It doesn't stop there, does it? Christian love, it goes the distance. It goes out of its way. It's generous. It wants the best for other people. It wants them to grow. That's Christian love. We saw that in Romans 12. So, we've seen, don't, uh, what was it? Accept, don't argue. We've got that. There's more, isn't there? Build up. Build them up. And see how you can avoid tripping them up. If they're a brother of yours, how can I avoid tripping them up?
Build up, don't trip up. Let me show, uh, show you verse 13. It says, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. And then at the end of that section, verse 19 says, as Mike read, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Here's the idea. Why don't you... Why don't we invest all the time and energy we'd spend churning over why they're wrong, working out, uh, and then spend all that energy working out on how to avoid being a hindrance to them? If they're differing, they've got a matter of conscience that's different to mine. Take all that energy we would spend and invest it in working out how I can avoid being a hindrance. You remember that Mike has been saying that um, how the law and love go together, don't they? They're glued together. You can't separate them. Here it is again in verse 15. If your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're not walking in love. So you can actually be adamant that you are following the law. But if you're not being loving, you can't be. If you're not being loving, you can't be following the law. In verse 15 and 16, we see that there are really only two things you, you achieve if you, if you do this. The first one is to cause that person great harm. And the second is to actually make matters worse. Verse 15 says, by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. It's pretty strong, isn't it? Do not destroy the person for whom Christ died. And verse 16 says, don't let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. This is the irony. This is ironic. I'm trying to convince this person that this is good. And in trying to convince them, in the way that I'm going about that convincing, I actually end up giving them more reasons to see it as evil. I end up giving them more reasons to see it as evil. Because now they're thinking, you know, oh... That person just does what they want, or you know, he's forcing it on me, or you know, they end up seeing what you're saying as, as more evil if you're trying to force it on them. Well, let's recap. We've seen that both groups are wasting their energy, and they're wasting energy that could be spent working on how to love each other and how to do that well. So go back to our annual church meal. Strong Sally, she could plough all her energy into not being a hindrance. And Carol could spend her time thinking whether she really has got it right. And Paul says in verses 20 to 22, if it's what's right, if it's what's wrong, and if what makes someone happy is really what you're after he tells us those three things in verses 20 to 22 he says do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God everything is indeed clean but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he, he eats it is good 
not to eat meat or drink wine, to do anything that causes your brothers to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed, happy is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. If it's right and wrong you're after, it's wrong to make another stumble. It is good not to do something or anything that causes your brother to stumble. Um, Let's just read the end of... Let's read verses 17 to 19. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. The kingdom of God is not really about food and drink, but it's about gospel growth. Is the gospel growing in them? Is the gospel growing in you? Is it changing the things that you think, the things that you say, the things that you do for the sake of others? Is it bringing righteousness? Is it bringing peace? Is it bringing joy? And the bottom line in verse 18 about any Christian, if they're serving Christ, they're acceptable to God and they should be approved by men. So, what does this mean for us? If you want the fast track, here it is. Um, No apologies for making my three categories World Cup themed. Football analogies okay first time you can you can maybe think through a better one for me but um first timer you first time here it's great that you're here and this is a great chapter for you to hear because it's really honest that even true believers even christians get it wrong it may not seem particularly surprising to you that christians argue you've seen Thousands of different types of churches. And besides, disagreements are pretty commonplace in the way things are in the world. It's normal. No, the surprise isn't that. The surprise should be that God welcomes sinners. That he would welcome sinners. And a welcome like this doesn't actually really allow for much pride or any pride towards each other. The gospel is at work on our bad attitudes and it's changing people. In, uh, verse 9 says that for to this end Christ died and lived again that he might be both Lord of the, li- of the dead and of the living. This tells us that Jesus died, rose again and will return as judge. That's the gospel. It would be great if you take that verse and go home and give it some thought. what that means for you. It would be great for you to do that. Here we go. Here's the football analogies. Are you a season ticket holder? Maybe you've watched hundreds of church services like this one. Maybe you've never really seen yourself as there for others. You've based your goodness on what you do 
or what you don't do. But we've heard tonight that the kingdom of God isn't about what you do or don't do. It's about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. I wonder if I was to ask you, do you have those in your life? Do you have? Can you call yourself righteous? Do you know the righteousness of God? Do you have the peace with God? Do you have joy in the Holy Spirit? Maybe you don't. And maybe in thinking of yourself as a good person, you've hurt a lot of people. You've done them a lot of damage. Because a Pharisee, someone who thinks themselves a good person, they want conformity. They want everyone to behave just like me. Tonight, would you humbly admit before God that the gospel hasn't really changed your life? And and make that your prayer. God, I can see the gospel hasn't made any change in my life. I know it, but my relationships are like this. I've hurt people, I've damaged them by what I've thought about them and said and done. Well, keeping the uh, football analogy going, maybe you're in the game, maybe you're on the pitch. Someone who is a Christian, who's trying to live as uh, God is, welcoming um, and accepting others and loving them and looking for their good above your own. Well, uh, would you see receiving others, this attitude towards welcoming them, would you see that as where I believe the gospel? So what I think about that person, what I, you know, what I judge about that person is actually shows what I believe about the gospel for that person. So if I, if I really believe the gospel, or if I, if I love that person, then I'm believing the gospel about them. And you're believing of who they now are and who their new master is. Their master is Jesus. And this will mean avoiding arguments. And it will sometimes mean shutting up. It will sometimes mean parking your opinion. Okay, Let's see that in uh, verse 22. It says actually that the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. There's not many times where you hear Paul saying, keep quiet. But this is one of them. If it really is going to cause damage, if it really is going to be a stumbling block to someone and cause disunity, just keep it to yourself. But much more than that, I hope we've seen tonight that you look, we can look for ways to build them up. We can invest, invest all that energy into how to best serve each other. We can resolve not to be a stumbling block in anything I do. And that's a huge thing, I understand that. It takes a lot of us going away and having a think about this, how it applies. Um, so we actually do that as a church. We actually um, take the opportunity on Tuesday night to meet back together to think through what that looks like. And, and one of the things we'll need to think through is what are the areas we disagree on? Hannah gave a few examples at the start, didn't she? Um, what we wear. That might be a big thing to you. Um, 
Maybe, maybe it is, genuinely. Um, maybe you've always been in churches where they dress up and look smart. And maybe, maybe you're pretty offended that I've worn my uh, trainers and my T-shirt. You, genuinely, you could be like that. And, and what I think towards you and what you think towards me really matters. And the two different sides, if you're the person who might be getting it wrong, what do you need? Go away thinking, what do I need to learn? Is there something that I'm missing here about the gospel? Maybe I've just got the wrong end of the stick. Maybe I need to think more carefully. Is this something that is a gospel issue and something that I need to learn? But actually, remember the Gentiles, they, they, they know the right answer, but they're still very much in the wrong. So maybe, maybe we're on that side of things. We know the right answers, but we're very much getting it wrong because we're not loving. I may be convinced, but am I being loving? In what ways could I welcome a weaker brother or sister this week? What ways could I welcome someone who, who doesn't agree with me? To show them the love uh, of Christ in the gospel when I welcome them and I say, come on, talk to me. Let me understand what you think. I'm going to listen and I'm going to learn. Um, so I hope that's been helpful to you. It has been helpful to me. Um, obviously, as I said, there's lots of areas in church where Christians disagree. And it doesn't mean they're not brothers and sisters. It just means they need to learn how to love each other and invest the time thinking through what that looks like. Um, so there are some Bible study questions there. Um, if you're planning to be on Tuesday, even if you're not, take, take one away with you. Uh, there's some questions that just kind of help us to think practically. Because as I said at the start, it's not, you know, if we just let the gospel wash over us and we don't want it to change us and we don't think about what that might look like, then I think we've missed the point. Um, so let me pray. Father God, um, it is it just put everything into perspective, seeing that day when we will stand before you and we will kneel at your throne. It's a throne of grace, um, but it's a throne of authority. And we, we know that our arrogant thoughts, our proud thoughts about each other, about ourselves, will all melt away on that day when we see how great you are. Would you help us as a church to be um, those that really do um, reflect your grace towards us? Not just speak about it, not just say we believe it, but to actually be those who live it um, in the way that we accept each other. Would you help us where um, we come from different backgrounds, different experiences of church, uh, we could quite easily think that our way is the best. Lord, save us from that. Make, make sure that we don't rest our righteousness and the righteousness of others on, on those things. But help us to see that, um, that you welcome, you bring uh, us all into your family. Amen.
Great, thank you very much, Rob. Um, I certainly need to have your questions and uh, quite a few people I've made. Are there any sort of things that uh, I'd be helpful to clear up? We might not give people a chance to shout out in the past For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. I've always heard people talk about the Holy Spirit and righteousness, peace, and joy as something I experience. Hmm.